Welcome to Behind the Product, a podcast by SCP, where we believe it takes more than a great idea to make a great product. We've been around for over 30 years, building software that matters more, and we've set out to explore the people, practices, and philosophies to try and capture what's behind great software products. So join us on this journey of conversation with the folks that bring ideas to life. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Behind the Product. As always, I am your host, Zach Darnell. And joining me is my guest host for the show, Jordan Thayer. Jordan, how are you, buddy? I'm doing well. Thanks, Zach. How are you? Doing well. So you've been with SCP for about two years now, yeah? Yeah, it's been about two years. What's your primary role here? So I'm our um, one of our AI um, practice leads at SCP. Uh, what that means is that I evaluate clients' problems and look for ways that AI might help them fill some of their needs as part of a product that we're building for them. So that might mean evaluating uh, a data set to see whether or not we can use machine learning to draw some insight from it, or evaluating uh, a process to see if we could plan and schedule that process better for a client. You know, I know I've been learning a lot from you over the last couple of years, and one of the reasons why I thought you'd be a perfect guest for this is because your background uh, in having a, a PhD in computer science with a focus on artificial intelligence kind of applies to uh, our guests and the company that they work for today. We, we talked to Jeff Cunning and Charlene Tay. Jeff is the one of the co-founders and chief product officer at Pattern 89, and then Charlene Tay is their principal data scientist. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I'm kind of curious, what was your favorite part of our talk with them? So I think the thing that was really my favorite was just because of uh, it resonated with me personally, which was uh, when Charlene put together a report saying, hey, here's a thing we might be able to do, and here's an example of doing that. And then the next day, she had to backfill and figure out how to support this as a product offering for her company. I feel like that's a thing that a lot of engineers have to deal with uh, from the sales world. And it's it's exciting to see people get fired up about what you're working on, but it can be a little uh, intimidating the first few times around too. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, I, I loved how, you know, Jeff talked about kind of their product development philosophy, this idea of, you know, he didn't use these words, but this idea of nailing it before you scale it. And also this common philosophy of painkillers over vitamins. You know, one of the first products that they built, this Constellation scorecard, you know, they thought, oh man, we're going to have all of this data and that's going to be really, really valuable. And, you know, they got a lot of feedback from customers that I don't know what to do with this. Uh, this is great, but I need more actionable intelligence. And that's where, you know, kind of Charlene and uh, the world of artificial intelligence really came to light for them. So just love hearing that, that journey, that evolution. And, uh, you know, it was really also interesting to me. I don't know if, if this resonated with you, but one of Charlene's responsibilities is this idea of explainability in what some of the AI magic that she's building and her team is building to their clients means. Is that a is that a common problem in the AI space? Yeah, in in a couple of different ways, but I think where people are applying machine learning to uh, generate business insights, it's it's a big thing, right? People want to understand why it is the system made a particular decision, so that they can um, understand why they're doing the thing that they're doing. I was particularly surprised to hear 
maybe not surprised, but encouraged to hear that they actually selected the algorithms they used for machine learning on the back end so that they would have greater uh, a greater ability to explain what the system was doing rather than using extremely high end black box techniques. Well, and I, I would imagine, uh, you know, if we if we had the time uh, in the conversation to dig in a little bit deeper, uh, you know, there's there's probably more conversation behind the scenes with some of their clients that, you know, help to influence some of those decisions. And it's always interesting to kind of hear the not tension necessarily, but the push and pull of of what technology could could do and is capable of and what clients need to see or hear. So it, it's just, it, it's amazing to hear some of these stories. And yeah, without further ado, let's dive into the show. Hey, everybody, welcome to the show. Today, we've got Jeff Cunning and Charlene Tay. Am I pronouncing those right? Yep. Yes. I'm like 10 for 10 this year on pronouncing names. Uh, not that you guys have hard ones, but I, I like to set the bar right. So you guys are with Pattern 89, which is a, a relatively newer company spawned out of High Alpha, correct? Yep. Yeah, that's right. And Jeff, you know, kind of looking a little bit around your background, you were uh, with Exact Target a few years ago and uh, went looks like went through that acquisition into Salesforce. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. I uh, started with Exact Target, uh, got in there just at a you know really lucky time to be able to kind of ride the coattails of the expansion, both products, markets, um, and you know eventually the IPO into um, to acquisition. So that was quite the ride. Awesome. And then you spent a little time at Twitter. What was that like? Twitter was an amazing place. I, I absolutely loved working there. I was at toward my the end of my time at Exact Target and Salesforce. I was working on uh, some products related to how do you take email data and other first party data that Salesforce had access to from their mobile products, from their social products, and actually take those audiences and be able to reach them through social advertising on Twitter, on Facebook, through the advent of some of the products that were new at that time back in. 2013, 2014, like Facebook custom audiences um, and Twitter tailored audiences, which are really heavily used um, now today. And I had the opportunity to go really to the heart of that with Twitter and work on uh, how they were really rolling out their Twitter audience platform, moving from just on Twitter to uh, this extension of mobile apps. And that was an acquisition they made with, of a company called Mopub. So Mopub was this super fast growing, exciting startup, amazing culture. I mean, they they kind of had the dream acquisition. They they were probably around for three or four years and sold for you know multiple hundreds of millions of dollars. And I come to Twitter and I meet this team of people who are amazing, so fun to work with. They have this incredible culture. And I said to myself, like within the first couple of weeks, I was like, I want to do that next. You know, I want to have that feeling that that this team has next. And so uh, my time at Twitter was was amazing. Um, I, I loved working there. The company, um, I just have nothing but good things to say about it. Uh, but I also always had kind of my eye on, you know, what I want to do next is I want to go to a startup. I want to go build something from the ground up and be able to kind of have uh, an amazing culture like like that team did. That's really cool. Uh, well, it sounds like you're you're on that journey right now. So that's fantastic. And and Charlene, looking at kind of your background before joining High Alpha, looks like you were more on the the research side and and uh, data science side, like research academic. I don't know if that's the right phrasing and right way to look at that. 
Yeah, um, I first got into data science uh, after I graduated from IU my, um, in my undergrad. I, I was working with researchers in developmental cognitive science. So basically, these were researchers who were interested in how humans, uh, and specifically children, learn. And uh, we focused on the intersection between human learning and machine learning. So I was doing stuff like studying visual learning in humans uh, using computer vision, and then using human and neural inspiration to build machines that learn like children. But that really got me excited about data science and machine learning and led me to become training as a data scientist. Wow, that's way more over my head than I anticipated, uh, but sounds very, very interesting. Uh, Jordan's going to have to give me a, uh, a crash course in what you just said uh, when we get done. So, I mean, just to maybe dig in a little bit more there, was the goal of that research to build computational models that you could study to better understand the children or to improve the outcome of the vision processes for use in some other product? Uh, a little bit of both. So um, it was to try and study humans to uh, build better machine learning algorithms, as well as to set, study human learning and kind of represent that in like repeatable processes and um, models. So Jordan, uh, you have uh, obviously a background in, in data science. Um, I forget what your PhD is in. Combinatorial optimization. Ooh. I would imagine you and Charlene could go back and forth on some things here. It, you would be actually surprised. Um, we're, you know, it's one of those things where my whole world focuses on something that it it seems unlikely, like outside of maybe one or two lectures in an AI course you've ever heard of, and vice versa, right? Like I I know enough data science and machine learning to fake it if you hum a few bars, but it's it's really not where I'm super deep, even though I know how to apply the techniques. So let's, let's dive into Patterning 9 and, and see it in real life. Jeff, tell me a little bit about how long you guys have been around, how the company came to be, and where you guys are at right now. So we founded the company in early 2017. And uh, there were five of us at the beginning. And we were working on solving a problem that has kind of plagued marketers for years, which is, I don't know what creative is going to work. I have campaigns to launch. I have initiatives that I want to drive. I have messaging that I need to get across, but I don't know how to build a creative that's going to resonate. I have so many questions about it. Should it be you know, just basics? Like, should it be an image or a video? But what about when we dive into that image or video? Should there be people in it? What should the background color be? What should the hue be? Should it be wide or tall? Should I have... What objects should be present in it? Should it be indoors or outdoors? And you can kind of go on and on with imagery and with video content, as well as with your copy that goes into the ad. So what words are most important? How long should my copy be? Should I have you know, the most popular question? What emoji should I have in my headline um, to get people to, to engage? And so that was really the problem that we set out to solve. And uh, when we started Pattern 89, we actually started solving it through experimentation. And we wanted to help marketers experiment with more options faster so that they could get real answers to these questions. And we had all kinds of interest in this platform. And we started growing really quickly from the start uh, because it was that challenge that every marketer can really identify with. And they're like, yeah, I, I wish I could get the answers to these questions. As we started to grow the company, we 
kind of had there. There were really two, I, I guess, big kind of trajectories that that happened. One was we started building a really large data set, and we created what we called our Constellation Scorecard, and that allowed any marketer to sign up and get access to this free report. And uh, by doing so, they're also joining our data co-op. And that data co-op has now grown to over 1,600 brands, over 170 billion impressions. Um, there's over $5 billion in ad revenue that is attributed back to the ads that run through our system. And so that one kind of trajectory since the beginning has been the growth of that data set. The other has been that marketers have told us that they don't really want to go through the work of building the experiment. So as much as they loved this idea of experimentation, it was too time consuming. It added a step to their workflow. Instead of helping them, it actually just layered on more work. So even if they got good results from that experiment, they still have to take a lot of time to put it together, to run it, and then hope that the results that they got were going to just be true forever, right? Or else they have to run another experiment. And so there was this constant feedback of, I just want the answer. And really thanks to Charlene and the work of of really the data science team at Pattern 89 we were able to kind of turn that on its head and say well what if we could predict what will happen what if we could use this data set that we've amassed to be able to understand what are the elements of creatives that drive performance what are the patterns that are driving success or failure and so that really drove the the future of our business and where we are today which is centered around this idea of predicting creative performance so that a marketer can come to us and if they have an objective they're trying to accomplish, a KPI that they'll use to measure success and an audience they want to go after, we can tell them what creative is going to get the job done and what creative to avoid. So that's really the the core of the platform today. And uh, we've grown to about 25 employees uh, we've had some really exciting growth. You know, actually, our, our our biggest growth has been in this most recent quarter. So we're really excited that you know to be growing during this this pandemic. We feel really fortunate, and um, we're excited to continue that uh, into next year. So there were uh, a couple of really cool things in there, um, but I just want to start with a term of art for the woefully uninformed like me. What's a creative? We talk about a creative as any type of content that goes into an ad. So I should probably have mentioned that Pattern 89 today works specifically with Facebook advertisers. And so an ad is really comprised of an image or a video, along with a headline, a set of body copy, and a call to action, which is like a button that might say, learn more, shop now, book travel, something like that. And so all four of those elements are kind of what combine to form an ad or a creative. I heard you describing something almost like a design space for these things, right? You have a bunch of knobs that you can twist. Where Are we inside? Are we outside? What's the age and gender of the people acting in the video or in the image? Things like that. How do you come up with the the set of knobs to twist? Do you want to talk us through, Charlene, kind of how how we go through that analysis and what options are available to us? So we, we break down all the, the ads that we get into many different parts. Um, specifically for the image, we put that through a third party service right now to kind of come back with all these tags that identify the, you know, using computer vision to object recognition to identify all the different things that are in the image or the video, as well as image related features such as, you know, the hue or the color schemes and stuff like that. And then we do the same for la- the language as well. 
So we, we have it with all these um, different, what, what we call image tags that we use as features to our model. Do you use a third party for the, the, for semantic annotation of the, the copy as well? Semantic annotation, uh, the NLP stuff we do in-house. What is semantic annotation? So basically, that is like breaking down the text in your copy into, sorry, like machine-readable language. So things like analyzing the sentiment of the, of the text, um, figuring out how many emojis are in there, how the emojis are being used, things like named entity recognition. So like, um, you know, if, if there are nouns and there are verbs or certain keywords that are important, things like that. So if I'm understanding this at a 30,000-foot view, if, if I'm a marketer and I want to do a Facebook ad, uh, the idea here is that by putting together what I think I want to serve to my audience, you can actually break down those four areas that you talk through and kind of predict based on all of the data that you've collected so far how successful that's going to be and maybe make recommendations on what they should change. Is that kind of the idea? Yeah, that's the idea. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I'm a little proud of myself there. I'm glad I was following to some degree. That's that's really interesting. I mean, so is as you go back to like your first client and some of the assumptions that went into this this constellation scorecard, what were you thinking you were going to be solving first for marketers then then ended up learning that caused this pivot towards applying AI to this problem? I mean, it was really all about experimentation. I, I, we, we had so much interest in solving that problem of experimentation at scale. And there's a market out there. I mean, there's, a, there's, there's competitors out there in this space of mass production experiments. And so uh, we, we really thought we're going to build the best experimentation platform there is. And all with that same goal in mind of helping them understand what creative is going to work. We saw that as the biggest opportunity that is still out there in digital marketing. There's so many tools to help you, you know, build and manage digital marketing campaigns to optimize your targeting, to optimize from an ad tech perspective, your bidding, your budget management. Really, every element of that journey is optimized except for creative. There's not a platform out there. And there's not really been technology in the past that's really enabled this. Like computer vision and what Charlene was just talking about with what we do to actually really understand more of the science behind a creative is really brand new within the last couple of years. And so that has left creative as something that people solve through, I think this is going to work. This worked last time, so let's use it again, or let's run a test. And so we really saw creative as this big area that we wanted to, to dive into. And yeah, we, we thought, you know, with our early customers, we actually launched what we called our founder circle. So we had, I want to say six or seven brands that we started working with, um, who all agreed to sort of join us in developing this at, at, a, at a discounted, you know, contract value that they'd get longer term. You know, we thought, hey, if we can start growing our data set, we might be able to help kind of coach them along the way. As they build out their experiment, we could give them advice on what to do. And that was what really led us at the start to start building this, this larger data set. And yeah, as we continue to go, I mean, there, there was, you know, there's, there's a few points of feedback that I, that I really look to in our past history that have guided a lot. One was around uh, one of our customers. And actually this, this person was in that initial founder circle saying, Hey, it's awesome that you have all this data, 
I don't have time to look through it. I need you to tell me what to do. Um, and so this idea of like, how do we be very prescriptive with customers instead of just giving them kind of the world, right? It's, it seems valuable to have access to all this data, but you're so busy in your day to day, you don't need to, like now another problem that you need to go solve. And so that that was one big piece of advice. And then the second was, I already know what's worked in the past. I want to know what's going to work in next time. I want to know what I need to build in my next campaign. And those those were um, you know two really pointed pieces of feedback that I think helped helped guide us along the way, as well as just seeing customers saying, "I want to experiment," and then not doing it, um, and then say you know, and then getting that feedback of like, "Hey, this is adding a step to my workflow. This is again, just tell me what to do, and I'll do that." Uh, and that 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 really drove, hey, well, we have this data set. Let's figure out if we can kind of predict that. And then Charlene and team were able to kind of produce all kinds of different models that, that could accomplish that goal. So I would imagine the growth you talked about uh, this last quarter in the midst of this pandemic, e-commerce has kind of blown up a little bit, maybe just a hair. Uh, you know, are, do you feel like there are other contributing factors? You know, you talk about, I mean, customers sounds like buy predictive action and results rather than information as part of like what they're actually getting from happening. Not, yes, the information is maybe somewhat valuable, but really I'm hearing you right. It's, it's about the action that you recommend that they take that then drives healthy results for them. Do you think there's anything else um, inside the last few months uh, just given where we're at right now in the midst of this pandemic, you know, we're what, eight months into this now, give or take, you know, what else do you think is contributing to some of that growth? Yeah, you know, a message of having more certainty has definitely been one that's resonated a lot with our with our customer base, a message of <clears throat> just eliminating waste, avoiding the thing, you know, resources are limited. How How can you avoid what's not working? Um, before putting it into market, those, those are definitely messages that have that have really resonated. Uh, but but then yeah, in, in addition, we do work really closely with uh, e- e-commerce is a big big vertical for us, and so that has been a place where we've been able to benefit thanks to those industries benefiting. It was also in the past few months that we've actually productionized and uh, made built a product around the predict stuff. So before this, it was kind of. Uh, we had people who had to build the reports for the customers because we only had the models, but the engineering team has built a great product around it. And now um, the customers can go into the platform and do it themselves. So I think that's another driving factor. You talked a little bit uh, there about uh, certainty uh, sort of in, in results and whatnot for folks. So there, there's a lot to be said for you've achieved results in the past and so people trust you when you say you can do a thing. But a lot of the a lot of these techniques allow for, you know, either sort of sort of probabilistic models you can say with, you know, peep nine five, I believe the following things will happen given the inputs. How do you communicate that to customers, if at all? Do you find that you have to do a lot of education in telling them what the outputs of the models mean? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure we can both speak to this, Charlene, but I, I, I would say that is the biggest challenge of building a business that is kind of centered around AI is this whole explainability notion. And, you know, it's easy when the AI says something that the marketer agrees with, and they're like, oh, wow, their platform is really good. Uh, But as soon as it 
suggest something that kind of goes against what their gut would have been, what their instinct would have been, then it calls everything into question. And we've really started to see different personas from our customers of, you know, some folks are they're of the mindset of, I know that AI is going to be a big part of digital marketing in the future. I know that it's going to... I want to figure out how to build it into my marketing stack effectively. And I'm, I'm open to it. it you know, I'm going to believe it. And then there's, other, there's another persona of, I'm skeptical. And I'm, I need to understand all the ins and outs of it in order to kind of rationalize it for myself. And in, in that world... It, it's really hard, right? Because explaining what a model does is really hard or why does a model change? And uh, we've, we've spent a lot of our engineering and data science time in working to better explain what's happening because I think to reach the you know the broadest market, we, we want to be able to serve all personas and be able to justify what's happening. I don't know. What would you add to that, Charlene? You're kind of the brains behind explaining it. Yeah, we are, we've been focusing a lot on building tools that kind of explainability tools around the models. Um, and, and that's a growing, growing field in data science now. And it's, it's really difficult because even with the explainability tools, the, um, the features that are, might be, you know, important to the, um, the model might not resonate with the customer, right? And so like, you know, even if like the, um, the model says, Hey, you know, because you are so and so, you're going to perform this well the customer might not be able to do anything with that information, right? Because they can't change who they are. So it's, so it's a, big, uh, a big problem, but we're working hard on, on serving that customer. So, so if I hear you guys right then, you, you've got a couple of knobs that you can turn there, right? You could choose different modeling techniques. You could use a decision tree or something not as powerful, but that people can wrap their minds around pretty quickly. But it, said, it sounds like you've chosen to use the most powerful representations you can find and then work on the explainability, uh, adapting some of those new research techniques or, or perhaps developing some yourself uh, so that you can help people understand what it is the more powerful techniques you're using are doing. For the explainability part, we are trying to keep it so that you're right. We're using like decision trees to kind of, kind of to make it more explainable. So we, we can use like products like um, explain like I'm five or, you know, um, what if the what if tool to kind of toggle the weights and see how, how the different features are affecting the predicted outcomes to kind of show and recommend to the customer what they can change to improve their performances. It's always wild to me how the the way that the consumer, um, I mean, your clients are the consumers in this case, ingest the information, drives the technology decisions, right? Because in a vacuum, you might choose an entirely different technique. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. As a as a data scientist, you know, it's really hard because you know you see all these new technologies and methods come out, and you know we want to try them all, but we we just have to you know make make sure we stay to what, what's best for the customer and what gives them the best results. I'm sure that the, the uh, technologist in you, that's a tough struggle. I feel like I hear that a lot from uh, a lot of different maker groups, engineers, designers, data scientists, product folks. It's, I'm sure it's hard. Oh, I want to go do that new shiny thing. That sounds really, really cool, but uh, maybe it's not the right thing. Uh, not right now. Soon. One day. If only we had all the time in the world. <laughs> So uh, a minute ago, you, you mentioned that, you know, here recently, 
you kind of had an evolution uh, in your product around reports given to customers and, and automating those. Uh, it kind of got me thinking about the, over the last couple of years, the evolution of the technology. Could you talk through some of the distinct phases of that? Like how baked was some of the tech for your first client versus today and maybe what that journey looked like? So, so what Charlene was saying is that our, our kind of the UI and the self-service ability to predict creative is, is something that we launched in June of this year. And for really the previous 12 months, it was a lot of innovating alongside our customers. And it was using the same models that are now in production, but doing it kind of offline and in a way where it was, it was highly manual to produce outcomes for uh, customers. And then it was, you know, building reports to try to explain what the outcomes were. And that's really been, you know, the process for us with everything that we've developed. It's how do we do the smallest, you know, take the smallest step first and then work alongside of our customers to validate, validate, validate so that we're not actually building software until we have that trust or that that learning, that knowledge um, that our customers really want this, you know, that they're, that it's an important problem that they need to have solved and what we're doing is solving it for them. And that it's something important enough that they're willing to pay for it too. You know, there's a common like product management, you know, saying that you'll hear is like build a painkiller, don't build a vitamin. Because if it's just a nice to have, like nobody takes their vitamins, but if they hurt, you know, they're going to take a painkiller. And so those are things that, that we want to test alongside. So, I mean, early in the phase of of predict, it was, I mean, I, Charlene would be better at explaining sort of like how baked the models were, but certainly the user experience was like non-existent and it was all kind of hand-holding in those early days and then slowly building processes around being able to, okay, now we can do this manual work at higher scale because we, we you know, speed a few things up internally. And then, uh, you know, eventually we, built kind of our first version of the UI, which had, you know, the, a, a big majority of the things that we wanted, the ability to kind of load in all of your assets, set your prediction, run it self-service. But a really key missing ingredient to that is, hey, once you've predicted all these assets, I want to launch them. I want to put them into market. And so uh, over the following then, you know, three to four months, we built out the ability to actually publish those directly, which was a big feature of, hey, great, you predicted my ads. Now I know what's going to work. Now I can just set it live instead of having to then go rebuild that in another system. So that's kind of, I guess, maybe the experience from the front end and from what a customer would experience. But yeah, Charlene could talk more about kind of the modeling and how that's evolved. It started out last year as a POC. Um, our CEO, RJ, just asked me to, like, could we do something like this? And I built it in a Google Colab notebook in a few days, and then I showed it to him. And then the next day, he was selling it to customers. So <laughs> I had to move really quickly to make sure it was in the right place. But yeah, really what, what I was doing was basically generating the results into CSV files. And then we had to get other people to help us to create the reports based on all the outputs for the combinations and of all the different ad features and their predictions from that CSV file. But the automating it and building the product around it really helped. So as RJ brought it out to customers, we got a lot of great feedback. And I think it went from like more of a, hey, can I just get all these different combinations and um, get the best one to more of, 
it started off as like, hey, I have all these ads. Tell me what's the best one. So it was more of a ranking thing in the beginning. And then it kind of evolved into a combination. It's like, here are all the different things I want to try. Create the best combination for me and tell me the best one. So it evolved into that. And then I feel like there was another phase too, where it went from, don't just tell me all, you know, the ranking of my assets, but what if all my assets are bad, right? I want to know if that best option is actually going to be good or if it's just the best of sort of this set um, that I've provided to you. And then it also it really expanded in just in terms of what types of objectives people were running. I remember at the very start, it was great. We built a model for you know a single objective or a single metric. And then it started to get way more specific around all the different, just kind of spreading out to the to the greater and greater variety of needs. Well, it sounds like you you guys had a great time to hit the market with some of this just kind of given what's going on. And I, I love the idea. You, I've, I don't know that I've ever heard anybody else talk about painkillers over vitamins. I feel like that's something I've always preached. I don't remember where I heard it from, but uh, I, I love the sentiment and the idea that, you know, this, this idea of like nailing it before you scale it. It's a common phrase around our office. So this idea of like making a small bet and very methodically, you know, making sure that you make a great point, customers are willing to pay for it. And the technology progression and evolution really supported that journey. It, it built on itself. And it sounds like you kind of hit the nail on the head from the, from the beginning. So your assumptions were pretty spot on, uh, you know, post, post the Constellation scorecard. So that's really, really cool to hear. I'm sure it's been a fun ride. It has. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's uh, every, you know, I feel like you talk to anybody in a startup and it's a roller coaster. And uh, that's absolutely you know, what it's been. And the last three months, we never would have had this without the previous four years and all the learnings and all of the, uh, just all of the time that's gone gone into this and all the, you know, just persistence and relentlessness to kind of get to this outcome. And so uh, we are feeling really excited about where we are right now and how well this is resonating with the market. So I'm I'm kind of curious a little bit about your teams. You know, like what, what do your what does your your engineering and product and data science team makeup look like? How do you, you know, what do you think makes the the Pattern 89 team successful on a daily basis? So from a high level, we have uh, myself and one other product manager and a head of design. And on the engineering side, uh, we have James, who's our our VP of engineering. He's also been with us from the very start. And we have uh, seven engineers, a couple who have just recently started as well. And then from the kind of early days of Pattern 89, we worked alongside High Alpha from a data science perspective. And we kind of worked together in, in High Alpha was growing that practice. And I think we were the by far the kind of biggest customers of it. And um, so we worked with a, with a few just super intelligent uh, data science folks. And then we were lucky enough to be able to bring Charlene on full time. And I mean, the, maybe the one anecdote I would give is that, and I think Charlene can speak better to kind of have the engineering and, and data science teams working together. But I think our team is really, really big on context and on uh, having shared understandings of what problem are we solving? Why are we solving it? And you know, that, that challenge of explainability with AI, you know, it's so key to the customer, but it's, you know, it starts with Charlene, 
right? Like if Charlene has to be able to describe what's happening and how it works to us to even be able to have a chance at explaining it back to the customer. And, you know, the same is true with the engineering team and being able to, to provide the context around what they're building, how they're building it, why they're building it that way is so key for then, you know, on the product, on the product marketing side to be able to then message that out to, to users for the designers to be able to build the user experience that brings that to life. So I think that context and, and communication and understanding kind of the why behind everything has been really key in trying to solve that challenge of explainability. What would you add, Charlene, uh, around kind of more how the engineers and data science work together? Uh, I agree with you 100%. And not not just with engineering and data science, but also with the customer service and the sales teams as well. I feel like so many people don't. Uh, you mentioned uh, someone taking your proof of concept and selling it the next day. I feel like I hear that all the time. And, and it's, I'm sure, both frustrating and exciting, a little scary uh, all at the same time, because it's like, oh, I built a thing and oh, people want it, but I didn't build it to go sell yet. Uh oh, I got to go figure that part out. Uh, but I mean, it, it's kind of a testament to making a, a product that serves a need in the market. I, I think that's just awesome to hear. So I, I love this story. You guys sound like you are very much on maybe the early uh, precipice of heading up uh, the roller coaster. I would imagine there's a there's a fun future here. What's coming up soon here for Pattern 89 that you could maybe give a small preview for? Well, we've been re- because of the gr- the growth, we've been working very hard on uh, scaling up our tech and you know making sure that everything works fine with in- increased uh, customer base. And um, we we're also continuing to work on the explainability stuff, hoping to make a tool for customers so that when you know when they get the uh, recommendations and predictions they can also see what they can change and in order to get even better results so even like adding on to that self-service uh, capability that's really cool um, I'm sure that's not an easy thing to solve explainability that sounds like a very complex problem we're also going to keep working on um, building in the feedback loop. So like now that we've been able to publish all the different, once they are get their predictions and they are able to publish the ads from the predictions, um, we, we can now track those and how they perform and use that to go feed into our models and to learn and improve the models as well. Wow. Well, I'm excited. We might have to do a follow-up uh, maybe sometime in 2021 just to hear what you're seeing when some of these things come out into the market. So I really appreciate you guys joining us for the show. Jeff and Charlene, you guys have been awesome. And Jordan, thank you for being my guest host. I appreciate you. So yeah, have a great rest of your day. And we look forward to catching up with you guys here in the future. Awesome. Thanks for having us. Thank you. 